Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, this morning we will be looking at the parable of the sower, which is an important parable because three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include the parable of the sower. And that alone makes it, I think, one of the most important teaching moments in the ministry of Jesus. It's probably something that he used often in his sermons. But before we get to that, Luke is going to give us a few other details about the ministry of Jesus uh, that are interesting. So look at Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So I want to pause here. Luke wants us to notice that there are women who are also following Jesus, and that these women have also put their life, their reputation, and their property on the line to do so. Why? Clearly because their lives were also being changed by Jesus. And obviously they're, they're serving in different ways. We continue to read the New Testament. They're serving in different ways from the Twelve Apostles, but... Luke makes mention of this because I think he wants us to see this is a clearly, a, they play a valuable and important role in the ministry effort of Jesus from the beginning. Okay, women are following Jesus. Luke also wants us to see that a congregation is forming around Jesus, that his traveling companions were becoming a church. Let's keep reading, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus uses parables any time he's trying to teach something about the kingdom because openly talking about a new kingdom in the Roman Empire was a bad idea. And he trusts that God's Spirit will be at work in the hearts of people who have an ear to hear as he says. The crowd knows all about the topic of this parable. This is just basic farming that Jesus is using as an illustration. Most of us know a little bit about farming because we live really close to the Mississippi Delta and um, 
perhaps know some farmers or some, you know, I don't know. I know a little bit. I don't know why. I guess just because I'm from Mississippi. But what's strange about this parable is that the farmer's method of planting seeds is terribly inefficient. And if you were one of the original audience listening to this story, this, this parable, sometimes we read the Bible and we're just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's just so spiritual, that's so great. But if you're listening to this in those days, you're scratching your head thinking, what is Jesus trying to say? Because this is kind of silly. So in those days, farmers would scatter seed before plowing the soil. We do it the other way around. But the question that they would have been asking is, what farmer would intentionally throw seed on a path or on rocky soil? And so it sounds like, and Jesus intends it to sound like, he's wasting seed. Have you ever thought about it that way? So years ago, I wanted to, to plant some grass under a tree in my backyard. So what did I do? I went to Home Depot and I bought some grass seed. I put it in a spreader and I spread the seed in that area where I wanted the grass, right? I didn't throw it on my driveway because that would have been a waste of seed. And so the farmer actually sounds a little careless if you think about it from the perspective of the crowd. Shouldn't he be more careful with his seed? It's the question they would be asking. And yet, the punchline of the parable is that Jesus says this farmer still produces an insanely large crop. So at that time, a farmer would expect to get about five to ten times his seed back at harvest. That was the expectation. But Jesus says this farmer yields as much as 100 times more. Now that gets the crowd's attention. And everyone is confused, even the disciples. They have no idea what it means. But let's find out what it means. Verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Sounds like Jesus is saying he's intentionally confusing them. Doesn't it? Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast 
in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus gives a clear, simple explanation. He says the seed is the word of God and God's grace is such that he does spread his word far and wide across the globe. Lots of people hear the good news. Like the kingdom is, is going into all places. But there are really two messages here. There are, there are two applications. One is for the crowds who are hearing the parable. And then the other one is for the disciples. So we're going to look at both of them. This is the message to the crowd, okay? Jesus is saying, my kingdom is coming, but most of you will not benefit from it. Kind of let that sink in for a second. My kingdom is coming, but most of you will not benefit from it. In other words, this parable is actually a warning. It's actually a moment of crisis. It's a moment of challenge. The question is this. Where do I stand personally in my relation to the kingdom of God? That's the question we're meant to ask. Am I the one who has ignored God's word? Or am I the one who perhaps responded a long time ago to the Word of God with joy, but now it means nothing to me? Or am I the one who has responded to the Word of God at some point, but I have now allowed everything else to come before God's kingdom in my life? And so the message then is don't assume that being around Jesus is enough. Unless you are the good soil, unless your heart is good soil, Jesus is clearly teaching that you will be excluded from his kingdom. Good intentions, positivity, trying to live a good life, none of that is enough. Either God's word is rooted deeply in your heart, your life is being changed by it, or it is not. And of course, the problem is that most people will hear this, like what I'm saying right now, you'll hear this, and it will have absolutely no impact on your life. No conviction. No assessment of your heart, no change of direction. It will go in one ear and out the other unless the Spirit of God breaks up the soil. So that's the message to the crowds. <clears throat> Not an easy message, to be honest. The second one, the message for the disciples, this is a little more encouraging, okay? The message to the disciples is this. God's kingdom is God's work. God's kingdom is God's work. Jesus is the actual farmer here. 
Now, he invites us as his followers to help in the casting of seeds, but really only God can determine whether or not those seeds grow. We're supposed to read this parable and think to ourselves, that's a miracle. There's no way that you can get a hundred times back from your seeds, no matter where you put it, right? No matter where it lands. That's, that's miracle growth. And the work of the kingdom is always a miracle. It's always a work of God. Our job is to cast seeds. But Jesus is actually teaching his disciples here not to be discouraged when that seed doesn't take root. That's not something that they can control. That's not something that we can control. Many times it will not take root, or at least we may not be around to see it. I can attest to that as a pastor. I've met hundreds, literally, of people over the years, and in many cases I've tried to love and to serve and to to share the gospel with people, and most of the time it bears no obvious fruit. Sometimes people are completely resistant to God's word, and they don't respond at all. They just openly reject it. Sometimes people respond quickly to the word, and it can be really exciting when you see somebody just like, like the, it seems like the lights are coming on and they respond quickly and then it doesn't last. Sometimes people will be in and around the church for years, maybe their whole lives, and yet God's word never really becomes a priority for them. Other things take the top position. And that's because in an unbelieving heart, the motive is not repentance and faith in Jesus. Instead, it was only about what God might be able to do for me. And when they realize that God is not interested in temporary blessing or temporary happiness, they bail. God's kingdom is about breaking the curse of sin that separates us from Him and hurts everyone and everything in this world. Our sin is responsible for the sense of despair and anger and the fear that is all around us. And this is God's heart. God is interested in dealing with that and helping people recover from that. And it is true that His work creates joy and it creates healing and it creates contentment. But it doesn't necessarily make us happy and comfortable all the time. Instead, it's an invitation to a greater purpose 
and it's also an invitation to a community. Look what Jesus says next, verse 16. <clears throat> no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the, to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. I want to suggest to you this is actually another warning and a challenge. The question being to the disciples, how are we receiving the Word of God? Is the kingdom of God our chief priority? Now, a lot of times people read this about the lamp and they, they think, well, he's saying don't hide your light, so go do evangelism. Actually, if you, if you go to like Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he threatens the churches, and these are believers, but he's saying, if you don't get this stuff fixed, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. What's he saying? I'm going to remove your ministry effectiveness, that gospel light, and take it away from you. And so this is a challenge. He's like, what are you doing with the Word of God? Is my kingdom your chief priority? Can other people see that in your life? Because if God's Word and His kingdom are the most important thing in our lives, then it won't be hidden or secret. It will be obvious. It will be on display. I saw a meme this week uh, somebody shared of a, of a skeleton sitting at a desk like with a computer and the caption said, me still waiting on people to see Jesus in my lifestyle or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, the evangelism through just... But it will be obvious to people if this is what matters to us. And that's the calling of the disciple, to bring glory to God, to put Christ on display in our daily lives. And that, probably more than anything else, involves community. In our Western individualistic culture, you hear me say, put, you know, put God on display, glorify Him, and you're thinking only about how you can do that. And you're missing the point. We do it together. We only really do it together. Look at what our text, how our text ends. Verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now I love this because it is so shockingly blunt. This is Mary, right? The Virgin Mary. 
and James, the brother of Jesus, and his other brothers standing outside wanting to see him. This is the biological family of Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement in verse 21 at their expense. Not because he doesn't care about his family, but because he wants to teach his disciples something important about the church. Brothers and sisters, this right here, this community, it matters more than your biological family. Not that your family doesn't matter. It does. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that the gospel might break up your family. And the church might be your family. But that's really what it's supposed to be like. And of course, they're not mutually exclusive, but you understand that in the eyes of God, this, this is more important. God's kingdom, God's word, and God's church are all tied to one another. Please hear me. You cannot have the blessings of the kingdom without Jesus. You cannot have Jesus without His Word. And you cannot have His Word without the church. Let me, re- let me repeat that because this is a little controversial, what I'm saying, but I think I can defend it. You cannot have the blessings of the kingdom without Jesus... You cannot have Jesus without His Word, and you cannot have His Word without His church. What does Jesus say? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God, who hear the Word of God and do it. And there are a lot of people in our communities who have convinced themselves that they can have Jesus without the Bible and without the church. And listen, I understand why they might have come to that decision. I understand the struggle. And as a pastor, I have heard these reasons many times. Church people are so judgmental. Church people, you know, all they do is they talk about money. Pastors, all they preach about is money. Churches don't do anything for the community anymore. I hear this stuff all the time, and very often there is a lot of truth behind those excuses. There is. Or maybe some very personal experiences of hurt or even spiritual abuse, and I'm not denying that that's been the story for some of you even. But I also know that the people in North Mississippi which I don't know if you know this, but only like 25% of people in DeSoto County actually go to church anymore. Did y'all know that? But what I know is that the people that live around us and some of us in this room, we are lonelier than we've ever been. And anxiety and depression are the new normal. And broken families are the new normal. And addiction and alcoholism, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. 
we need community. We need people in our lives who care about us. Most of all, we need Jesus who teaches us how to care about other people. And this is where Jesus promises to be. We need His Word and we need His people around us. Now listen, this, this is not a perfect church. You actually won't find one of those. But we are a family and we are trying to follow Jesus together and we're always adopting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the gospel that we sang about earlier. Your merits, your good, good works are all sufficient for us. It is by grace that we are saved. It's not because we are good disciples, because we understand more things than others, or because we're doing a better job. Ultimately, what you've called us to do is in response to the grace that we've been given, not to earn it. We thank you for the reminder that this table is as a means of grace. You invite us to come with empty hands to receive the body and blood of Christ represented in this cup and this bread before us. And so we pray that you would make it a means of grace for us and set it apart from its normal use and help us to appreciate what it represents, uh, the fact that we are united in Christ as brothers and sisters that we come to a table together. This, this is for your people. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.